We are a band of brothers, diverse yet unified, aligned to pursue the truth, resolute in our commitment. We are stronger together, and you are one of us. This is the Brotherhood Podcast. Wow. Man, I've seen that video a couple times, and every time it reminds me that through the power of our Savior Jesus Christ, the trajectory of our lives can be radically transformed. Amen? And Adam, thank you so much, not just for sharing your story, but for uh, your service and your willingness to walk through all of that and share it with us. I mean, that's powerful. And so there's a lot to that story and you can feel the heart of it in, in the video, but, but there's so much more. We sat down for lunch this week for like two hours and we don't have that much time today. So we're just gonna try and hit some of the highlights of this. But the danger that Johnny and I were worried about was that, that you guys would come into this room and you would, you would see Adam's story and you'd go, wow, I can't believe he went through that. And I'm really proud and thankful that God got him through that. And what Johnny and I discovered was there is so much about Adam's story that's a lot like your story. You may not know that, but I think you're going to see it as we, as we talk just a little bit more about the details at, Adam, you referenced something at the very beginning of that video, an ambush that yeah. happened in Iraq. Talk a little bit more about what happened that day. Um, <clears throat> so we, we, we would do our convoy briefings, and then we would go pick up our, what they called third country nationals, our TCNs. They were usually Turkish guys that drove trucks that would not pass a DOT exam at all in this country. But uh, so we'd go pick them up and we, we start heading out the gate. And one of the things I first notice is there's this red car pacing us as we're leaving. And uh, I look down at my, uh, my, my truck commander, who's also the convoy commander. We've got headsets on. And I says, hey, I said, we're being paced. I says, call it out over the radio. He says, you call it out over the radio. I said, okay. I said, hey, guys. I said, we're being paced. Keep your heads up. So... We pull our blocks, we get out on what they called uh, MSR Tampa, which was the route we were on. And a, no sooner than did, did we get the whole convoy out there, it's dark at this point, they hit our second gun truck with a roadside bomb and then an RPG consecutively after that and then lit into our convoy with fully automatic machine gun fire. Um, I'm, in the, I'm in the third gun truck at this point and there's trucks just fish boning out everywhere. And so my driver's like swerving in and out of these vehicles, trying to get into a place where I can return fire. And there's, a, there's an adjacent gas station, and the lights are just flickering with the machine gun fire. You know, it's dark out, there's, machine, there's tracer rounds flying everywhere. I'm flopping around in this Humvee, and I didn't want to shoot into the building because I didn't know if there were innocent people in the building. And so as soon as we come back around that corner and I started to, to bring my 50 cal up, the enemy broke contact back over the hill. And uh, then we ended up medevacking my buddy. He had, he had blown his hand off. Yeah. And 
after the, in the aftermath of all of that, there was something you were struggling with about that event. What yeah. was that? So after that, I thought, well, I failed. I failed, to, I failed to get engaged with that enemy. I failed to kill these guys. I failed to get retribution for my buddy. And I was supposed to be in that number two gun truck today, yeah. that, that day that he was in. Yeah. And so I felt wholly responsible for the fact that my buddy was injured. And then on top of that, I didn't, I didn't wax the bad guy. Yeah. And we talked about how... And, and I, I can't relate to this. There's a lot of us in the room that can't. I've not been in that type of a situation. But Adam, you talked about how much you've learned over the years about the tactics of our ultimate enemy, the devil. Absolutely. How, how similar his tactics are to if you're facing a real enemy that, that really wants to take you out, like in the physical world. Uh-huh. And what I noticed in your story was that you, you've been being ambushed by the enemy most of your life. Mm. And so have you guys been being ambushed, put in a position where the enemy had the advantage and he was lying to you and he was doing everything he could to distract and take you out. And Adam, you said that started early in your life, maybe around the age of 10 when you got some news that was kind of reshaped your world. Talk a little bit about that. So... My mom and dad <clears throat> took me out. We got a drink, and we went to this park, and, and uh, they sit me down, and they said, so your dad isn't your biological father. Uh, he adopted me. He, he married my mom before I was born and adopted me. Um, that kind of stripped part of my identity away. You know, I, I love my father, and I want to preface this by saying the man that raised me is an incredible human being. But it still kind of stripped part of my identity away, like, wait a minute, who am I? And uh, through some of that, you know, I was also dealing with a lot of bullying growing up. That started back in, like, second grade, you know, and it was a consistent pretty much throughout my school life. And uh, so between that, between being bullied on a constant basis, between all of that, um, by the time I even went into the military... I didn't have a great self-esteem. I just, you know, so then you fast forward into the military side of that and things continue to stack and pile on, you know. Yeah, and it's, when you've been attacked and you've been ambushed, and I don't want you guys in the room to think about that, like from the time that you were a boy, what what has the enemy been saying to you? I mean, the, the thing that Adam felt after that gunfight was did I, I didn't come through the way I was supposed to. I, I failed. I didn't have what it took in the moment to do what I needed to do. Now, that wasn't true, but that was the lie. And it's the lie for a lot of us. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not enough. Like, my manhood is in question. In fact, Adam told us at lunch that, I mean, despite all that God has done in your life, and it's incredible, Adam's story, just a few days ago, as we're preparing to do this, the enemy is saying, you don't have any right to be up there talking because you're a fraud. He's still trying to tell us that lie. He's still trying to ambush us. And so what happens over a lifetime of the attack of that is we get some injuries, mm-hmm. don't we? I mean, just like in the physical fight, you get some injuries. In the spiritual fight, you get some injuries. And those injuries, I know for you, things like insecurity, 
fear, anger. You started doing things in your life to cope with those insecurities, to cope with those lies. Talk a little bit about what you did to try and escape those feelings. So when I, when I got back from Iraq, you know, one of the first things I started doing was going to bars and drinking and getting into fights, you know, and after I realized that after I'd knocked a few guys on the ground, like, I better stop doing this, stop going to bars, otherwise I'm going to end up in jail. And uh, so I got involved in some martial arts, but the other, the other things that I started doing was, was pornography. I got into chat rooms, uh, talking to other women, and it was just this escape. It was an escape from what was going on inside my head. I, I, it was hard for me to even be with my wife because I didn't feel good about myself. So it was just easier to run to the pornography. It was easier to run to this other stuff and then get involved in my martial arts and stick fight. Well, at least it was legal for me to hit people there and it was in a controlled environment. Yeah. So how, was that, how were those coping mechanisms working? <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they work sometimes, <laughs> yeah. but not all the way. Yeah. You know, and uh, it, never, it never really worked out. Things yeah. just continued to grow. Shame continued to grow in my life. Yeah. And none of it ever worked, obviously, because I wound up wanting to end my life. I was going to say, I think, I think one of the tactics of the enemy, though, is shame. Because it puts you so low that you can't get back up. And did you, how did you felt a lot of that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I already felt terrible about my porn addiction and these other things. I didn't really have anybody I could reach out and talk to about this stuff because most of the men I ran around with were dealing with the same stuff. But yet the lie of the enemy is you're the only one. You're the, you're only, the only one who has this problem. You're the only one that has this problem. Yeah, yeah that is definitely a lie. Yeah. And so the tactic is the same with all of us. The enemy is attacking. He's lying. He's ambushing. He's using a lot of the same things he's been using in your life since you were just a kid to tear you down, create injuries inside of you. And then what we do as men, we, we do just the exact same thing Adam did. We do things to cope. We do things to escape. We don't like the way any of that feels. So we, we run from it in a lot of different ways. But there is this principle we talked about, which is the principle of the, of the path. It's not original to me. I think I got it from Andy Stanley and he probably got it from somewhere else. But you are on a path that is leading you somewhere. You better know where it's leading you because it is taking you somewhere and it may not be taking you where you want to go. And for you, Adam, I think just a story that captures that. Talk a little bit more about this car accident you had that kind of was an eye opener to say, I am on a bad path. So I I'd come out from underneath this underpass and this woman runs this stop sign and I try and swerve around her, like dodging a pothole in Iraq, you know, trying to avoid the the, the landmines try, and so I try to swerve around her, and she collides with me and pushes me out into this intersection. Well, I couldn't get out my driver's side door, but I was so ticked off, and I'm a big guy. I cleared that console. I got back out the other side, and I make a beeline for her vehicle, and all I'm thinking in my head is, I am going to kill whoever just hit me. And you're that serious going, about that. I was Some dead of us say that. Serious. But you were, you were... I was dead serious. Yeah. But... I got about halfway there and the Holy Spirit just welled up inside me like, stop, stop. Like it just, it just was, it was just intense. It overpowered what was going on in my head. And I, and I, that was enough to, okay, I stopped. I turned back around and I called the cops, but 
probably not after saying a few nasty words to the woman that hit me. Yeah, yeah, and that was a wake-up call. Absolutely. And, uh, but it wasn't like things changed that day. No. Some things no. happened, right? Mm-hmm. And one of them was, I mean, on a, obviously the, the, the suicide thing was after that. Is that right? Yes, yes. And so you knew you were in a bad place. Mm-hmm. You were alone and isolated, so mm-hmm. you couldn't figure out how to fix it. Right. I, I mean, my family was there. Yeah. You know, I had people, but nobody really knew how to help me. I mean, I, I even had a pastor that was like, Adam, I just, I don't know what to tell you. You know, it wasn't that they didn't want to. It was just they didn't have the resources necessary to help me in that direction. So I ended up going to the VA. And finally, you know, I had avoided medication for 10 years. And I was like, I need to get on some meds. Like, I am not okay. I need to get on some meds. And so they put me on this 100 milligram dose of Zoloft. And, of course, I didn't tell them that I was drinking like a fish outside of that. And uh, so I continued to drink. And I really believe it was the, the combination of the two that, that just kind of drove me down to that suicidal moment. But, again, this was the enemy's plan all along is, as you bought the lie and then you bought the next lie and you contemplated and you thought and you acted and you acted again. It's just this cycle that continued to happen for you until what happened. Right. Until, until I, was, I was sitting there on night, night. I, I said 2019 in the video, this all actually occurred in 2018. But uh, I, was, I was sitting there and I was drinking and it just, it just started to go. And it was just like, he's like, you know, and it's like, I just think the devil's like, I got him now, I got him now, I got him now. You know, and then that video pops up, which is obviously God's providence because I'm sitting here today talking to all of you. And uh, so after that, I, I went into the hospital and uh, spent two weeks in a lockdown unit. And you want to talk about having your pride smashed, uh, walk into a hospital where they take your shoelaces and your razor blades and tell you and hand you these scrubs and these goofy slippers and make you sleep on a plastic bed, you know. And so I spent two weeks there, and then I went through an eight-week program for co-occurring disorders, which was the PTS and uh, major depressive disorder, and then, of course, the alcoholism. And uh, while I was in treatment, the water main broke in my house. (laughs) So, like, it was just a constant barrage of attack from the enemy. Yeah, and before we kind of move into what the breakthrough was, I I want to go back because you said something that I think would be good for all of us to hear, and that is some of your early counseling and conversations were actually not very helpful because they projected some identity on you that you knew wasn't helpful. Talk a little bit about that. So, you know, they want, they want these hardened veterans to talk. So they start, you know, you poor, you know, it's kind of like this, you poor wounded animal, you know, and they, they just start to feed that victim mentality to you while you're in treatment, you know. You poor guy, you poor, you know, and they, and they, they coddle you and they treat you. And, and that doesn't serve you very well on the other side of that because then you start to use that as an excuse to continue to act and behave in a bad manner. It's just an excuse. So it's interesting how the enemy was using people that I think who really probably wanted to help you sincerely to continue to reinforce that lie that there is something different and wrong with you. Everybody else around hasn't seen what you've seen, been through Mm -hmm. what you've been through. 
you're going to have special challenges. You're, you're, yeah. Man, isn't that what he does to all of us? Everybody in this room has known what it's like to be in a room like this and feel like you're alone because nobody could possibly understand what my marriage is going through. Nobody could possibly understand how awful a person I am with this addiction that I have. And that's what he does. He's ambushing us all the time in order to injure us, in order to destroy and steal and kill us. And that's where he was leading you that night when you got the pistol and ended up sending out that text. But shortly after that, when you're going, I know I'm a mess. I know I'm dangerous. I might go to prison. I mean, you were talking about that in the video. Uh, You were sitting, I think, on your back porch and you heard God ask you a question. Uh, this was after we relocated to Tulsa. Uh, my house fell apart in Wyoming, and we ended up relocating down here to Tulsa. And I'm sitting, sitting on the back patio in this just gorgeous backyard in the most beautiful home I've ever lived in. And I'm, and I'm just sitting there, and God just comes over me, and he's like, you ready to do this my way yet? I was like, yeah. Hmm. And he says, apply to Mighty Oaks. Wow. And so... I applied, you know, and this, this is obviously after being introduced by Triton Fight Center and uh, the guys at Triton Fight Center to Mighty Oaks, Reed and uh, Pete. Yeah. Tell us about Mighty Oaks. What is it? So Mighty Oaks is an organization that teaches combat veterans, uh, well, just veterans in general, active military and uh, first responders, how to get beyond their trauma and live as God intended for men to live. Yeah. And they, they have a women's program as well. Yeah. And so talk to us about that first night. I mean, you've been a mess. You've been going to kill somebody, going to kill yourself at the end of your rope, and you just you, you hear God say, are you ready to do things my way? Which is a huge question. And you go that first night, and something happens. So this, this guy gets up, and he shares his story. He shares his sins, his failures, his mess, and what Christ has done for him. And I was like, wait a minute, this is real. Somebody is actually being real in a Christian environment. I was like, I'm all in. I went all in the first day. I was like, that's all I needed. I just needed somebody to be real with me. You know, I just needed somebody to say, yep, I've dealt with the porn. I've dealt with this stuff. I'm a believer. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so once that was like, okay, God, change me. I'm, I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. And I submitted my life completely to him on that hill. And I continued to just ask him to change my heart there. Yeah. So tell us a little bit what, about what happened after that. Because clearly massive life change has happened for you. What were the steps that happened after you surrendered, which is so key. I, John Shimmer's in here somewhere. And, and uh, you know, when he shared his testimony you know, I, I keep having men come up to me and say, you know that thing John said about 98% in, but he didn't have that. That really has resonated with a lot of men. I know it's resonated, resonated with a lot of us in here that that 2% will take you out. And I know that's a lot your story too. You've been Absolutely. a believer your whole life. You grew up in the church. Right, right. And it wasn't that I didn't love God or love Jesus. It was that I wasn't giving him that last couple of percentage yeah. of my life. Yeah, and that made the difference. Talk a little bit about that. What has changed for you? Adam? So, you know, one of the things as I, as I revealed some of these issues to my wife, she had asked me, and I'm, I'm going to backtrack a little bit here for this. She'd asked me to go see a Christian sex therapist. And he had told me, 
you need to get in with a group of men. And I immediately recoiled. I was like, nope, not doing that. You know, and, that, and after was when actually God's like, I need you to apply to Mighty Oaks. So uh, I just completely lost where I was going with this. No, I was just saying, like, <clears throat> you talk to your wife about it. And, yeah. and obviously, I, and we don't have time really to dive into this, but for, I would say, any combat veteran, your wife and your family, they carry a lot of that too. Even though they weren't there on the front line, they deal with they have to deal with what you're dealing with. And so absolutely. this has been a journey for your wife and your family too. Oh, absolutely. What I was just saying is, talk about how the life change happened. So I came home and I got involved with the outpost, with Reed Hasty's outpost. Mm-hmm. And I connected immediately to this group of men. I started to get involved. I started reading in the word. They say, be in, be in the word, be in prayer be in church and be in touch with your corner men. And I started walking out those steps faithfully, daily, like daily. Paul says in Romans. Hold on. Say those again. Guys, listen. What are those four things? Because they are so foundational. Say those again. Be in the word, be in church, be in prayer, and be in touch with your corner men. That'll change your life. Okay, keep going. And so, you know, Paul, you know, and that was the thing that I began to realize, like, you know, Paul says in Romans, I die to myself daily. Yeah. And so it has to be these daily steps we take. I get up every morning, and the first thing I do is submit my will to God, because I have a history of trying to do it on my own, and guess what? <laughs> it doesn't work. Plain and simple. I can't. So, Johnny, the thing that so resonated with us was the, the role that this brotherhood, and I don't, I don't necessarily mean this brotherhood, though I think this brotherhood has meant a lot to you, but you found brotherhood with the men of Mighty Oaks. Right. And talk about the role of that brotherhood, kind of juxtaposed or kind of in comparison to what we all think of, and I think there's value in the brotherhood that men feel in the military, uh, man, you have to have each other's backs. I, I have not been, I've not served, but I understand that. And I can imagine what that's like. And so you had, you had been a part of a brotherhood, but this was something different. T- talk about that a little bit. So in the army, you know, obviously they're going to do whatever it takes to keep you from dying. Yeah. Um, they might not necessarily love you and they might not necessarily even like you, but they don't want to see you die. The difference between that brotherhood and the brotherhood I'm a part of now, they want to see me live yes. to the fullest of my potential. Yeah. I, did, I had zero confidence, and I've had nothing but men encouraging and lifting me up and building me and pointing me towards Christ. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's been life-changing for me. I began to see how Jesus really saw Adam. Wow. And it's changed my life. Yeah. It has absolutely altered my life. Six months ago, even, I wouldn't have, I would have shrank back from getting back up on this stage. You know, so that, that is the power of having that brotherhood. That's the power of having men that you can sit down and get real and raw with. Like, hey, and you know, it's like, we, we all don't want to call out. We want to, we want to be like, man, I'm, I'm struggling with temptation for porn, you know, and you know, you reach out to God and there's been a couple of times where it's been, 
you know, he's like, but I need you to reach out to one of your brothers. And so I call a brother and reluctantly call a brother and like, he's like, hey, I'm dealing with the same exact temptation. That, that has been almost every time. You know, the devil wants you isolated in that. Like, he wants you, oh, you're the only one of your brothers dealing with this. And he continues to work on that. But no, I call my brothers. Talk a little bit about what Reed's meant to you with Mighty Oaks. Because you said that, you know, again, this is talking about a brother. Talking about someone who believed in you and you didn't believe in yourself. What's, what's the power of that in the words that he spoke over you? He, he has done nothing to speak life into me. You're a leader. You're a man. I believe in you. You know, and it's just been this daily faithful process with him. There's, there's never been any wavering. It's been completely solid. I love you, brother. You're an incredible man. I appreciate you. You know, the thing that I see, and we're about out of time, and Reed, I want to give you an opportunity to share anything else you have for these guys, because this is your story. And that's the power. Jesus said, you don't have to be my lawyers. You don't have to be my professors. You don't have to be my judges. He said, just be my witnesses. Just tell the story of what I've done in your life and see what I do with it. And that's what's happening right now with with you, Adam. And so uh, I want you to say that. But one thing that Johnny and I saw in Adam's story that is so universal to all of us is that Jesus is the only one who can fix our mess. Jesus is the only one that came with the power to truly change us from the inside. That was your prayer that night at Mighty Oaks. God, change me, change me, change me. It doesn't happen from willpower or doubling down on our effort, none of that. But, but the best conditions for Jesus to do that in your life is in community. The best spot, the best environment for you to experience that breakthrough with Jesus, he's the only one that has the power to do it, but the best spot for you to to find that, to receive it, to be changed, is in community. And I especially think with men, in a brotherhood, in the company of other men who are chasing after Jesus in the same way. That's what makes this so important. That's what makes the small groups and the mid-sized groups and the mountain men teams and, and, and the Mighty Oaks groups, that's what makes it so important. If you're getting ambushed, and you are, without community, without being in the Word, being in a church, being in prayer, and having some brothers around you, you're going to get taken out. He's been doing it for thousands of years, and he's good at it. And so, man, live by those four things. Those are awesome four things. Adam, I know... We could talk for two hours because there's so many nuances to this story, but what would you want to say to these guys? Don't be afraid to walk out of that prison cell Mm. and engage with somebody. The devil wants you trapped in your mind. He wants you trapped in that loop. He wants you in self-loathing, self-hatred, and he wants you to feel alone. You aren't. Lock arms with your brothers. Be bold, be willing to be that warrior that God calls you to be. Yeah. Just be bold, be willing to step out with your brothers because you're gonna find out you are not alone. Yeah. Plain and simple, you are not alone. It's easy, just yeah. simp out, reach out, step out, take that step and courage and do it. Yeah. And I'm here. 
You don't have to be a Mighty Oaks brother. You want to talk? Let's rap. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Would you guys join me in thanking Adam for sharing his story today?